you to help me out here. If my voice trails like sometimes it does, I want you to stand up and say, what? Or give me some indication. I'll need some help, okay? Because I, I got some helpful input last week that sometimes I turn away and my voice can't be heard. And that would be a real help to me for those that have courage to do something like that. Thank you. <laughs> We're in Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 18. Luke 18, 18. You know, they say when a person almost or comes into a, a, you know, a life-threatening situation and they think they're going to die, their life flashes before them, little scenes along the way. Now, I, w- I want to ask you this morning, if you, if you thought about it, if you give it much thought, what would you see the scenes, what would you say the scenes that would pop up in your mind? The scenes that would pop up in your mind should you die moments from now. Is there any one single life-changing event, wake-up call, anything that you could recall that was that significant to you that you would say that is the most significant event in my life? Because we're going to talk about a man that's going to go through that, and he probably doesn't realize it. Very significant event. Now, if you're like me, you can recall that significant event. Perhaps you haven't had one. Perhaps you haven't had that event that we're going to talk about this morning. This passage is going to speak about a young ruler, a rich young ruler that approached the Lord Jesus Christ with a very specific request. He had given it a little bit of thought because he's going to go for the gold. His request is going to be the best request a person could make when meeting the Lord. Now, there's a danger in reading a passage like this, and the danger is that we're going to read a story where a person approaches the Lord Jesus Christ and asks him a question. The Lord responds and asks him some questions or says some things to him in which he can think about. The Lord was present in front of him, standing right in front of him. So the danger is is somehow putting this passage at a distance from us because the Lord Jesus Christ isn't standing here in physical form this morning. But nonetheless, the Lord does arrest our attention with very important issues. And it is He he that is speaking to us. And so I hope that's the case, that you could see that this verse very much applies to us. Whether you know the Lord or whether you don't know the Lord, there's a message here for us. It starts out in verse 18, a certain ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Is that a good request? Is that an important issue? Can you think of something more important to ask the Lord? I can't. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, later on in the story, we'll find out this this ruler was rich. In another passage, it says he was extremely rich. So a lot of his needs, if not all of them, were taken care of. He didn't worry, worry about the future. He didn't worry about where his food was going to come from. He didn't worry about, you know, the, the housing crunch, the market crash in Wall Street. He had everything he needed in a physical, uh, temporal sense. But he still realized something was missing in his life. See, all the money in the world can't give you what he was after. He wanted eternal life. That's a pretty important request, isn't it? So let me ask you this morning. 
Have you considered that request from your lips to the Lord Jesus Christ? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's lacking in my life? What is it that keeps me from knowing for sure that I have eternal life? Maybe you've already asked the question and you've resolved the, uh, the question by responding accordingly. We're going to learn a lot. It's very instructive this, how the, the Lord Jesus deals with this man. And it sort of parallels the Samaritan woman. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You remember that in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, the Lord Jesus went after her and asked her for a drink. And uh, she's quite amazed. She was quite amazed. Let's go there, John chapter 4. Because I want to see the parallel here. There's two things that she needed. John chapter 4, verse 10 through 16. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And just so we know what he's talking about, He's not talking about the water that comes out of the well they were standing in front of, because he said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. See, she didn't quite know what he was talking about, <laughs> but he, he continued what he wanted to tell her. He said, go call your husband and come here. Of course, then she said, well, I'm not married. <laughs> he said, rightly so. You've been married five times. The one you have now, you're not married to. You're just living with. Okay, so what did Jesus, what was Jesus tacked with this woman? There's things that she didn't know. If you knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life. We're going to think about that this morning. The gift of God is eternal life. That's something that he wants to give every creature, every human creature that he's made, he wants to give eternal life to. That's his heart's desire, that there be none that perish, that all be saved. And so he wants to give eternal life. She didn't understand that. She didn't know the gift of God. Okay? And um, I think we have a parallel with the rich young ruler. We're going to see that in a minute. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. Well, who was saying that to her? That was the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, if you knew the gift of God, and you knew who I was, you'd ask me, and I'd give it to you freely. So that's a very important key if you're interested in eternal life. One, you have to understand, well, what is this eternal life that Jesus offers? It's a free gift for one thing, but what is it? We're going to talk about that this morning. What is eternal life? And then who is it that offers? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're to receive that gift... You can't receive it without knowing who the Lord Jesus Christ is. She didn't know. Either did the rich young ruler. We're going to see that in the passage. Okay? But then there's a very difficult part here when he says, go call your husband. Because he does a similar thing to the rich young ruler. Go call your husband. You see, she didn't put two and two together. And she didn't realize it. But there was a longing in her heart for a relationship that satisfies. Can you relate to that? I mean, I can remember since I was junior high school, I used to think of my dream girl would be my soulmate, you know? And I didn't realize that what I had a longing for was a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And until you have one with him, you really can't have a soulmate with a wife or a husband if, if that's the case. So she had a longing that she wanted to fill, a longing in her heart for a personal relationship that would satisfy her. She went through five husbands, and she finally gave up on the whole institution of marriage, and she says, well, I'll just live with the man. Okay, so she came to the point where she realizes, maybe in this kind of relationship that I have with men, it's not there. And so she just continued to plod along. You know, I've been there. I've sought satisfaction in things to find out and discover that satisfaction can't be found there. And then I remember my, 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 my conclusion is, well, I guess I'll just go to school like everyone else, get a career, you know, and live a boring life. <laughs> that was my outlook on life, you know? Because we, we come to the point where we can't be satisfied, so we just go with the status quo and just march along with everyone else. Man, that drives me up the wall. Just, I cringed at the thought. So I started studying, and I got excited about my courses. They were challenging courses, and I dove into it because I thought, you know what, I'm going to be miserable if I look at it with a miserable uh, perspective, so I'm going to get excited about it, right? And then there's these two individuals in my lab class that were talking about God, about religion, and I didn't know anything what they were talking about, nothing. But then the voice came, not of audible voice, but in my thoughts, it was like, you ever, you ever give God a fair chance? I mean, you know, you've been looking. You're not satisfied. You haven't been satisfied. Now you're satisfied with what you think might be boring, but you never have ever, you ever considered God in your life. And my honest answer was no, I hadn't. And then the, the next thought is maybe that's what's missing in my life. You see, that's what the Lord was doing to this Samaritan woman. He was showing her, you know what? You can see that you haven't been satisfied. What you're longing for is way more than what you had with those husbands and the one you're living with now. But more important, what he was doing, he was showing her what kept her from that precious relationship with God, with her creator, and that was her sin. You see, she was living in sin. God's holy. God wants to have a personal relationship with us. He designed us for that. We won't be satisfied without it, but it says our sins have separated us from our God. Okay, so... We're sort of in an impossible situation because <laughs> we can't get rid of our sin. We long for that relationship. We can't have it. But the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give it as a gift. But not without first recognizing who he is, what he offers, and what's kept us from it. And then, then the decision's ours. So we go back to this rich young ruler. And the first, remember, we talked about uh, if you knew who it is who says to you, give me a drink. Who is? the Lord Jesus Christ. This rich young ruler, he thought he was flattering the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, good teacher. He thought he was being respectful and reverent. Good teacher. And I love how the Lord asks questions. And he asks questions in such a way, and it looks like the flow of conversation was the rich young ruler didn't give it a second thought. It just blew right past him. But let's think about that. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Is that true? That is, that is absolutely true. But why is it that there are people that walk away and don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ as God, and yet they walk away saying, but he was a good moral teacher. He was a good religious man. He was a good man. But God? No. Have you ever thought that through? 
Well, there are some that have. I'm reading from an article by Josh McDowell. And the, the article says, Jesus, God or just a man? As, analyzing three options to explain his identity. Jesus' distinct claim of being God eliminated the popular ploy of skeptics who regard him as just a good moral man or a prophet who said a lot of profound things. So often that conclusion is passed off as the only acceptable, only one acceptable to scholars or as the uh, obvious result of intellectual process. The trouble is, many people nod their heads in agreement and never see the fallacy of such reasoning. C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Cambridge University and once an agnostic, understood this issue clearly. He writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Think about that. There's a lot of truth in what he's saying. Then C.S. Lewis adds, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let none of us come up with any patronizing nonsense about being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Those are the choices. And he goes on to explain. Jesus claimed to be God. He didn't leave any other option open. His claim must either be true or false. If it is something that should be given, it's something that should be given serious consideration. Jesus questioned his disciples, but who do you say I am, that I am? It's got several alternatives. First, his claim to be God was false. If it was false, then there are only two alternatives. Either he knew he was lying, or he didn't. If, Jesus, uh, if when Jesus made his claims, he knew that he was not God, he was lying and deliberately deceiving his followers. But if he was a liar, then he was also a hypocrite because he told others to be honest no matter what the cost, while he himself taught and lived a colossal lie. More than that, he was a demon because he told others to trust in him for, the, for their eternal destiny. If he couldn't back up his claims and knew it, then he was unspeakably evil. Last, he would be a fool because his claim of being God, it was his claim of being God that led to his crucifixion. Many will say that Jesus was a good moral teacher. Let's be realistic. How could, be a great, how could he be a great moral teacher and knowingly mislead people at the most important point of his teaching, his own identity? You have to conclude logically that he was a deliberate liar if, in fact, he was not God. If it is conceivable for Jesus to be a liar, then he couldn't actually have... Um, if, it, if it is inconceivable for Jesus to be a liar, then, he couldn't act, and then couldn't he actually have thought himself to be God and been mistaken? After all, it's possibly both sincere and wrong, but we must remember that for someone to think himself as God, especially in a fiercely monotheistic culture, and then to tell others that their eternal destiny dependent on believing in him is no light flight of fancy, but thoughts of a lunatic in the fullest sense. Jesus, was Jesus such a person? And the article goes on to explain the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that affected millions throughout the centuries, changing thieves to honest men. Murderers into kind and loving people. His life, his teachings, his principles 
converted men from being evil to, being, to reflecting his goodness. You can't walk away and say Jesus was a good man but wasn't God. You just can't. It's crazy. He either was who he says he was, and think about the ramifications of that. Jesus claimed to be God. If he is indeed God, we better pay close attention to everything he says because it's so important. So no other alternative. Okay, so why do you call me good? He said that to the rich young ruler. That was a time of reflection. Only God's good. And I think it escaped his notice. As maybe there are people here this morning, escapes their notice of the import, the ramifications of Jesus' claim to be God and the fact that he is. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And in Matthew 19, 19, the story is told and it adds, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the Lord brings into view the commandments. He wants eternal life. He wants to get to heaven. The Lord brings into view the commandments. And most people outside of a well-taught church don't really realize the purpose for the Ten Commandments. The purpose for the commandments is like a mirror that the Lord lowers down from heaven for us to take a look at. Look at yourself. Here, let me lower the mirror. Look at yourself very carefully. Do you look like a person that's fit for heaven? I mean, honestly. I look in the mirror and I see a selfish, lying, deceiving, murderous, adulterous sinner. That's what the commandments paint me out as, and they're not lying. Jesus even clarified the commandments when he said, You have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit murder. But I tell you, if you get angry with your brother and call him, You fool, you're guilty before the Supreme Court. You've heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. You're guilty. See, the Lord, he refined and defined the commandments. And their purpose is to show us that we're unworthy, that we're sinners, and that we can't get to heaven. And so, this is what this man could relate to. He said, I've kept those from my youth. (laughs) Do you know anybody that's kept the commandments from their youth? No. Now, it's interesting because it says uh, in one of the other uh, Gospels, it says that the Lord felt a love for him. Why do you think that was, that he felt a love for him? I mean, I, I tend to think, I would tend to lose my patience, I think. You know, what do you mean you're not a sinner? What do you mean you've kept all the commandments? Who's done that? Nobody, right? But the Lord felt a love for him. Felt a love for him. And the Lord has a way of asking questions that are penetrating to... Um, to cause reflection. Remember what he said to the Samaritan woman? He said, go call your husband. Now, he could have said, you know what? You're living in sin. <laughs> she would have said, what? Yeah, I know you're living with that guy. You divorced five times. What? Yeah, I know about that too. But he didn't. He just said, go call your husband. And that caused her to reflect, to think about. Yeah, that's right. I don't find satisfaction in human relationships. So what does he say to this man? He says, all these things I have kept from my youth. I think he didn't really ponder the question very much. It says also, it says in uh, Matthew 19, what am I still lacking? He he knew something was lacking in his life. He thought he'd done everything possible, but but he, he says, what am I still lacking? And when Jesus heard this, verse 22, he said to him, one thing you still lack. 
Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. One thing you lack. Do you think that there were, there's just one problem in this man's life? I don't think so. Not if he's like me. But the Lord starts somewhere, and he usually starts at the top of the hill. And where this man was is he didn't realize what a sinner he was. He didn't realize how self-righteous he was. He, he had a low view of the law. And, and I think with this question, he was pointing out to him that he wasn't really keeping the commandments. Can you think of which one he wasn't keeping? It doesn't say it in this gospel, but it says it in uh, Matthew. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, this ruler was very rich. It says he was extremely rich, that he owned much property. There are plenty of poor people around. Was he loving his neighbor as himself? I'd wager to say no. <laughs> he had plenty. He had more than enough, an abundance. And then he'd walk the streets, he'd see beggars that didn't have enough for the next meal, that needed care. And the Lord doesn't hit him hard with a hammer. Just a question. You know, just a question. Sell all that you have. One thing you lack, sell all that you have. So I want us to think about that. Here's the question that he was faced with. Here's the decision. Here's the fork in the road. This is the significant, eternal, eternity-affecting moment in his life. This is it. The question is, does he recognize it? And the Lord put it right before him. Sell all that you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. Right? Eternal life. What's it worth? What's eternal life worth? I can remember when it was offered to me for the first time that I understood it. Will you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And automatically what came to my mind, what if this, what if this, what if he wants you to do this, what if he wants you to do this? And of course the worst thing that my puny mind could think of was going to Africa, wear a grass skirt and tell everybody about Jesus. What if he makes you do that? And then my common sense kicked in, or it was God. Hello, Eric, we're talking eternal life here. Heaven. And I'm going, duh, that's right. How can you compare the two? Right? How can you compare the two? This man has a choice to make. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you have treasure in heaven. Where was his treasure? The Lord says... Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. His treasure was here on earth, that's where his heart was. The Lord says, you want treasure in heaven, sell what you have, give it to the poor. And that's where your heart will be. But his heart wasn't in heaven. See, so I don't know what his idea of eternal life was, but it wasn't complete. We're going to talk about that. But I want us to think about this decision that he had to make. Sell everything. Give to the poor. He didn't say, let's just sell 60%. 80%, be generous. Who ever heard of that? Selling 80% of what you had. He would probably stand out as like the most sacrificial Jew of his time, right? The Lord says sell everything. Why did he say that? Does he require everybody in this room in order to have eternal life to sell everything we have? Now, he, mind you, he didn't say be willing to sell everything. 
Now, I want you to be willing to give up anything, and anytime I want something, you sort of send it to where I want it to go. He didn't say that. Sell everything. I like to call this eternity or eternal life is a two-handed affair. Eternal life is a two-handed affair. You'll know what I mean. Some of you probably already guessed it, but when the Lord offers this free gift of eternal life, when he offers salvation, it's a free gift. But it's not a free gift you can go up and pick up with one hand while you're hanging on to something else. It's a two-handed affair. You grab it with both hands. A person that's going to be saved from hell is going to be a person that's hanging on to Lord Jesus Christ with both hands for all he's worth. Okay? A lot of people want to, yeah, I'll take the Lord Jesus and I want to bring this with me. They don't want to let go. There's something in their life they want to, don't want to let go of. And that's why people don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he offers. It's what they won't let go of that keeps them from eternal life. The woman at the well, she let go. This man went away sad and grieved because he wouldn't let go. Because why? He had such great riches. How could he, how could he just let go? I mean, I have to do that? I'm sad because I wanted both of them. But guess what? I think I'll leave, leave, leave the Lord Jesus and I'll stay with my riches. What a sad, sad day. Day of regret that he'll have for all eternity because of the unwise decision that he made. Giving up eternal life for a bunch of goods that will perish in the end and won't help him pass the grave. There's something he didn't understand about eternal life. When people think of eternal life, a lot of people think, well, that's life that goes on forever. And that is one aspect of eternal life. But I tell you one thing, I don't want to go along like this forever. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm probably more wear, worn out. I am definitely more worn out than I was 10 years ago. So every day that passes, I will, le- I will less want to go into eternity like this. <laughs> I don't want an eternity that's just going to be a new body and live like this for eternity. You see, eternal life is not just life forever, but the definition of life, it's a quality of life that can only be described by fellowship, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God, with our Creator. That's what life is. God is the life giver. He designed life, and this is what it is. It's it's relationship, fellowship with Him. And of course it's going to last forever because He's eternal. So that's what Jesus is offering. Not just a life that goes on forever, but one that would pale this man's riches by comparison. I don't think this world can offer me anything that I would enjoy more than a close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with my maker. And though I fall and he has to pick me up and dust me off countless times, I still see the value and the importance of a relationship with him. Eternal life. It doesn't start in the future. This man wanted an inheritance. <laughs> to me, that speaks of the future. You know, I want to I know for sure that when I die, I go to heaven. That's all I want, no more. That, that's not eternal life. Eternal life is starting here and now with the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's knowing that your sins are forgiven because he died on the cross to pay for those, those sins. So that he can bring you to God. So he can have a relationship with you and satisfy your soul. And it's sad to think what people will let keep them from that. Think of some of the things. For this man, it was riches, right? 
And who knows, property. Oh, he's got a gorgeous you know, spot down by the river, building a house on it, you know. Forget that parable about the rich man that had so much harvest, he had to build bigger barns. And then he said to his soul, relax, you've got a lot of years ahead, you're going to enjoy yourself now. And God said, you fool, this night your, your soul is going to be required of you. And who's going to get all that you saved up? Foolish, foolish. Riches, what are other things that keep people from, from true eternal life that the Lord Jesus offers? Sometimes it's a relationship. That woman at the well, she had a relationship with a guy, Right? But she saw that what he offered, living water that wells up to eternal life, was way more important than that relationship. So she was willing to let it go. She came with her water pot to draw well, and she went, but that wasn't even important anymore. She had to go tell people about the Lord Jesus. Why? Because she just received eternal life as a free gift. What else, keep in the, what else keeps people from this? Because he really does ask that question. It's not just to the rich young ruler. You know, if you don't ask him, he's going to ask you. <laughs> Eternal life. What do people gamble that away with? What do they trade it away with? Relationships. Riches. You know what it could be? Sometimes it could be just letting, letting go of the controls of my life. You know? I have the steering wheel. And I like steering. I like driving. I like taking turns that I want to take. And you know, if I, if I receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I know that the right thing to do is say, Lord, since I was steering my life, I was headed to hell, and you saved me, why don't you take the wheel and I'll be the passenger? Some people hate that. They don't want, they don't want to do that. They're afraid of where the Lord might take them. Can you imagine that? The Lord who died for us. They're afraid of where he might take them. I know where he's going to take me. <laughs> he's going to take me to heaven. And I'm not afraid of that. I'm looking forward to it. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, ask yourself that question. It's a very important question. What is it that I'm unwilling to let go of? Because remember... Salvation, eternal life, it's a two-handed affair. You're going to have to let go of that if you want eternal life. If you don't let go, God won't force you. He won't rip it out of your hands. It's got to be voluntary because you value him that much. What is it that keeps you from taking that step? There are people here that have been here for quite a while, heard the word of God, heard the offer of salvation quite a few times. But there's something keeping you from accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it? What is it? Now that's a personal question for you between you and the Lord. Sometimes it's obvious to others. Sometimes it's not. But the Lord can ask the penitent question to pierce into your heart, get you to see what it is. He said, distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. Treasure in heaven. You know, um, our, we have a pension plan at work that, of course, it's down in the dumps. I think everybody's pension plan is down in the dumps. But they, they make people feel better because now they have this plan where you can make some decisions. Like they have these different portfolios with different risks, and now they'll let you pick how much risk you want, you know? I don't want any risk. <laughs> Why are you going to give me a choice of taking risk? I don't want any risk, right? And so you could hedge your bets. And so what they'll do is they'll give, they'll, you know, I don't know how much money they're making off of this, but they'll... Uh, 
give you the opportunity to pick when you want to retire, and they'll pick the risk you take. And of course, their idea is they'll take the biggest risk up front because you've got your career ahead of you, let's say for a young guy, and you can recover from the money they lost for you with a lot of years ahead, right? So some people like to hedge their bets. They'll buy, they'll have a portfolio that's called diversified, so they'll get a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit. If this fails, this will help. Some people approach the Lord Jesus Christ like that. You know, I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. You know, um, I'll even pray. But I'm not going to let go of this. <laughs> you know, I'll hedge my bets by going through the motions. That doesn't work with God. With God, it's all or nothing. You know, God's pension plan is 100%. You're in, either in or you're out. <laughs> you either have eternal life or you don't. And it's his desire that you have eternal life. And he says, come follow me. And that's where, for me, as a Christian, I find application here. Because I did have that time in my life, that life-changing moment where I received the Lord Jesus Christ. And he changed my life. But that eternal life that I received... I know that I have, I know that I'm going to heaven, but part of my experience of joy in that eternal life is according to how I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Peter followed the Lord at a distance, and he ended up denying the Lord three times. We can follow the Lord at a distance and, and, and experience a lack of joy of our salvation because we're far from him. So to experience eternal life in its full means we're walking step by step with the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes a right, we take a right. He takes a left, we take a left. We're so weak we can't even take a right or a left and he carries us. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's walking through life with him. It's seeing that he's taking you by the hand through life, showing you things, teaching you things, molding you into his character and making you something according to his plans. And you just sit there and marvel like, wow, I had no idea how grand his plans are. And I could short-circuit that the same way this rich young ruler did. There's things I can hang on to in my Christian life that will keep me from that, that end of walking in happy fellowship with him, happy fellowship with the saints, being fruitful and effective and productive in my life in a spiritual sense. I have to walk with him, follow him. And of course, as we, we, we get the, the blessing of reading the story of his life, where he walked, what he did, what he said. Imagine this rich young ruler had he said, yes, I'm giving it all away and I'm following you, Lord. He'd have treasure in heaven, and then he'd be able to see those miracles. He'd be able to hear his teachings. He'd be able to take in so much spiritual truth, and then he'd be like a conduit for others, like the apostles were. That's an effective life. When you get to heaven, I'm sorry I missed uh, Bob's uh, memorial because I had to work yesterday, but that sounded like that was a life filled with building treasure in heaven. <laughs> Do you think he's going to regret it? You think he's regretting it now? <laughs> Not on your life. I regret it. I regret it that I don't live up to that kind of standard. And we have examples before us, examples like Bob, examples like Bill, examples like Gene. Plenty, and you probably know more in your life. So what are we living for? The here and now, like this rich young ruler? Or putting treasure in heaven, following the Lord, and marching on? Because guess what? When we get to heaven, we're going to look back, and it's going to be all that stuff that we built with. It's either going to burn up, or it's going to shine through like precious metals. What do we want? Following the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But when he heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. In his mind, he already made up the decision. Oh, man, that's a drag. You mean I've got to give it up? Hmm. That's a drag because I really don't want to give it up, but I really want that. So there was that back and forth in his mind, and it's the same back and forth decision-making when a person comes in here, hears the gospel, and says, hmm, should I accept the Lord today? And it's, well, yeah, well, I sort of wanted to go to that party this weekend. Maybe after that. Things like that that go through people's mind. That's what was going through this ruler's mind. No way. I like my stuff too much. And Jesus said to him, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of, of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it so hard? Because <laughs> they have so much. They have so much to give up. Not only that, but when trouble comes, where do they go for help? To the checkbook. Just write out a check. Solves most problems, right? Well, as you go along in life, the older you get, the more you realize there are some problems that money can't help for. When you have a loved one that's wandering far from God, destroying their life, money's not going to help. Only God can. Money has serious limitations. But the rich, they build, their, their whole life is on accumulating more, accumulating more, accumulating more. And you know what? We can be like that as Christians as well. When we seek to guarantee the future by what we do today. You know, God promises to take care of us. If, if this rich run Eula realized, yeah, you're going to give up all that. Do you have to worry about tomorrow? No, because you're going to walk with your creator. You think he's going to let you go wanting? <laughs> you're going to be at his side. He's going to eat. You think he's going to say, no, I'm going to eat. You're not. He's not like that. Well, God's with us in the same way. God promises to take care of us better than the birds of the field, and they don't store in barns. It, it all comes down to, do you really trust? Do you really know who Jesus is? Are you walking with him? I remember when I came back from Brazil the first time I was single. And if you're a young person here today, I hope that these thoughts stir your heart that stirred mine. I was a new Christian, and, and um, everything I learned was learning, I was learning about the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and it was exciting. And I'm not saying that it was easy or there wasn't problems, I mean, but he addressed problems in my life, and I wasn't afraid to hear the brutal truth of it. <laughs> um, and, and as time's gone by, he's been more gentle with me. I guess I was had tougher skin back then, but I wanted to experienced the truth of the New Testament. I wanted to put to the test the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I came back from, as a single person from Brazil, I traveled in the summer of 84. I traveled with Don Robertson and Krista and uh, Bill McDonald. And we traveled across the United States. Bill had some ministry to do there. And um, I would go to Brazil for the summer and live with the missionary, Harry Reid, for the summer. I would come back, meet Bill on the East Coast. We'd drive back. Don and Krista, they flew back in the meantime sometime. So I, I, I wanted to put God to the test. God's faithful, right? And it's up to us to experience that and prove that. And so the Lord laid it on my heart to, of course, when I was with Harry, I had, uh, I had money saved up. Not much, but I had money saved up. And um, all of my possessions amounted to 15 books, uh, boxes of books, a chair, and a shelf. That was it. No transportation, no place to live. That was it. I just left like that. And it was my goal to when I got back to the Bay Area after that summer, I would have nothing, zero, except for those things. 
just because I didn't want to get rid of those books. They were about the Lord, you know? So I went to Brazil, and I, I had fellowship with Harry regularly because he was supplying for the, the meals and everything. And then when I got back to the United States, I had, I think, $300 in my pocket that I was going to give to Bill for gas driving back. So then when I got here, I would actually have zero, you know? Because I knew God was faithful, but I wanted to experience that faithfulness. And so when I got in Bill's car and I gave it to him, he wouldn't take it. He absolutely refused, knowing Bill McDonald, you, you understand that. When I came back to the Bay Area, I had a brother in the Lord hand me a key, said, you're going to be our roommate. Don't worry about the bills till you get a job. We know you'll pay us back. And, and the Lord wanted me to be married, and I, I could tell through that experience in Brazil. Six months later, after having nothing, I was married, two-bedroom apartment, two cats, a car, $3,000 in the bank. Six months later. So... After that experience, that does something for you, because three years later I would be commended to, to Brazil, Sandra and I, and we'd have to trust the Lord because we had no guaranteed means of support, no promises going out. We were going out to a country that we didn't know too well, and my wife hadn't been to the Amazon, so she was sort of, it didn't sound as good when she saw it as when I said, talked about it. <laughs> But it, it shows you how God is faithful. And, and if you're like me, don't you want those experiences in your life? Don't you want to experience that rather than hear somebody else's experience? That's how I was, especially if you're young here. And, and, and I confess, you know, when I was young, I didn't have, I mean, I wasn't like a rich young ruler where I had to sell all that I had. I mean, all that I had amounted to nothing anyway, you know. But it does something for your spiritual life to know how faithful God is and how he wants to have that close relationship where there's just total trust in him because he's trustworthy, where he will provide for your every need. And he hasn't changed in these 30-some-odd years that I've known him. He hasn't changed. Now, I will tell you, you know, since I mentioned that part, I better mention something else too because I don't want to make it sound like I'm being proud because I'm not. Um, because I know that I've failed the Lord many times, but... There was this story about this little old lady that was in this, uh, in this room where this fellow, he was a Christian businessman, very successful. He's a millionaire. And he was to talk that day. And he had a picture frame with a dollar in it. And he showed the dollar. And he said, you know, I'm here. The Lord's really blessed me with millions. And I want to tell you why. This dollar is the first dollar I ever made. And I gave this dollar to the Lord put it in the basket. Of course, somehow he got it back. I don't know how. But <laughs> and because I dedicated that to the Lord, the Lord's blessed me. I gave everything I had at the time to the Lord. You know, and then he sat down. And a little old lady, about three seats down, she, 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 she leaned over to say, not so quietly, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> Give all that you have to the Lord. You see, it's easy for me to rely on the experience I had back then. But the challenge for me and through this passage is, I dare you to do it again. Put all on the altar. Trust the Lord with everything. And know him in a personal, intimate way like you've never known him before. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I hope that, that by this you just long for that relationship. And you see that anything you have to give up, it's really, you're getting the better end of the deal by far. <laughs> you know, we give up things that really are temporal. 
and not that valuable for that which is eternal and forever. When he said this, the things, uh, when he said that these, the, uh, the things impossible with men are possible with God. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Verse 26. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? You see, in the Old Testament economy, riches, financial blessings were an indication of God's favor. Not so today. It says we're blessed with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We look beyond material things to things that are much more important. But in the Old Testament economy, that was an indication. Now, what they were saying is, um, they were saying, wait a minute, if, if, uh, who then could be saved if this man, if it's hard for rich to get in the kingdom of heaven, they see the riches, those blessed by God, those that um, have God's favor, if they can't get in, what about everybody else that isn't as financially well off and, and, and hasn't received visibly the, the blessing of God financially? You see, they were looking at it wrong. They were looking at it with Old Testament eyes. And there are a lot of people today, you could turn on the radio, uh, prosperity doctrines, where they take the Old Testament, inject it in the new, have a confusion of both, and it ends up, you've got to be rich because you know God. I am rich because I know God. It's a different kind of richness. It's the richness that comes with knowing Him and walking with Him and being used of Him. And every one of my needs are met. I think everybody in this room could say that or they wouldn't be here. But Peter, when he said that, Peter said, Behold, we have left our own houses and followed you. Um, and in Matthew 19, it says, What will there be then for us? We've left everything. What's in it for us? Is that a good way to respond? You see, some people will respond in a seemingly positive way, but wrong motives. You know, they think, Well, if I just accept the Lord, He'll give me what I want. I remember one of the last things that I had to let go of before I went to Brazil was my wife, Sandra. I was uh, dating her at the time. We were set to get married. But I knew in my heart that, remember Two-Handed Affair? I was wanting to bring her with me. You know, not in salvation, but in following the Lord. And the Lord said, what's this? You have her before me in your life, it looks like. And I never really got that straight. So finally, I, I, I told Sandra, this is the end of our relationship. I've never really put God first since I've known you because you were so fantastic, you know? She believed me too. It was true in my heart, but, and I struggled with that. And I can remember, I can remember struggling with God. And I, I remember this prayer, Lord, you know I'm not ready to give up in this fight. But please don't give up. I don't want you to give up either. <laughs> I knew the Lord was winning. I knew the Lord would win, but I wasn't ready to give up. And he, he had great patience and mercy with me. But there came a time where I told her, no hope for the future. Uh, I'm giving this life, this area of my life up to God. You know, I'm going to be single for the rest of my life, and I'm going to enjoy it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with God. You know? And I broke her heart. But when I went to Brazil that summer, I knew it's two hands on the Lord Jesus. I've let everything behind. I don't have any goods to speak of except for books. I don't have a relationship. Nothing, just the Lord Jesus. I was excited. I was reading Shadow of the Almighty on the way with Bill and Don, and we were talking about the Lord the whole way. It was wonderful. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because while I was in Brazil, through talking with Harry, the, the Lord showed me he wanted me to be married. An amazing thing when I came back, 
She still loved me after all that. Isn't that amazing? But I didn't do it to get her. Had I do it, done it, negotiated with God, okay, I'll, I'll go to Brazil, I'm going to be a missionary, but I want, I want Sandra too, it wouldn't have worked. God sees right through our hearts and our motives, you know? And the really amazing thing is, too, I didn't find this out until probably 10 years later. She said, Eric, you know when you did that, you broke my heart. I said, I know. She said, but I never respected you more. I said, what? She goes, yeah. She goes, because before that point, I was always doubtful whether God was first in your life or I was. When you did that, I knew God was first. I go, wow, that's a story that needs to be told. <laughs> you know? That's God's dealings. And, and we, should, we should covet those, those precious, precious uh, experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. But it doesn't come, come without letting go of things that we grasp. It doesn't come without letting go. And so um, Jesus has a promise here, and this is very precious. He says, and he said to them, truly I say to you, verse 29, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. There's not a sacrifice that you can make that you'll regret when it comes to sacrificing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's calling out some of the strongest relationships we have on earth, family ties, way more than money, more tighter relationship than with money. And he says, you give up for me, you'll get many times more. And I, and I had to take that stand against my natural family, but look at the family I got now. Got many more times that now in closer relationships. So I praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Lord, you indeed are wonderful. We're amazed at your love for us and how you want to take away from our grasp that which is not good for us, that which cannot satisfy, that which will lead us to destruction. And you want to place in our hands the precious eternal life that you offer as a free gift. You want to come into our lives and walk with us and teach us and enjoy um, help and, and let us enjoy your presence, Lord. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that they might, Lord, um, be attracted to you for who you really are and what you're like, Lord, that they'd long for that in their life. Lord, that you'd make it crystal clear in their lives just what they're clinging to that they must let go of, uh, what they want to take with them that will only detract, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.